0: I had a conversation with this, about this just this morning with somebody on my team where I was just like, I mean, like without sharing the details, it was that same conversation of, well, that I don't own that though. So how can I be helping them with this? I don't own that. We have ownership of things, but then there are these fuzzy lines of like, but we need you to cross over and show us this part.
1: Hello and welcome to the making better podcast where we talk about how to make organizations teams and even individuals better if you are a business owner a learning and development professional a manager or even an individual contributor in your organization this show will give you actionable insights to help improve your own performance and the performance of those around you our guest today is Christy Oliva. Christy, like many in the L&D field, started as a teacher in formal education. She made the move over to corporate learning and development and is now a program manager at Amazon. Since many people in the talent development space come from education, I wanted to sit down and chat with her about how she made that transition and what has been so successful. If you are new to the show, please make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss a future episode. If you are already subscribed, then I want to ask you to share the show with at least one other person because that, after all, is how we grow. I can't tell you how much it means to me. With that, let's get started. Christy, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today.
1: Absolutely. I am super excited to have you on the show because, you know, I think a lot of people make, like I said, a lot of people have made that transition from formal education into learning and development. You you did it a little early as we'll, as we'll describe in, in, in a little bit. Um, but What's really great about your story, I think, is that it's not just that you've made that first step. You've made several steps along that journey um, from being, you know, first you were where many people start of being kind of that outside consultant and then moved into a company as an instructional designer and then moved farther along and now and now uh, acting as a manager. So I am really excited to have you here today. the The first question I have for you is how lucky did you feel about the timing of you deciding to leave the formal education world into instructional design? Because the, you can share that the timing was pretty, pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. So I transitioned about three and a half years ago, I think it was. And obviously at the time I didn't know that that was probably a really great time to be doing it. (laughs) I just was desperate to get out. But now looking back, yes, I mean, I think teachers. In that three years, I tell my mentees all the time that I mentor teachers and I tell them I think it's exponentially gotten worse from when I left in the three years. So, yeah, I feel really lucky that I discovered instructional design when I did um, because it is getting to be a lot more frantic for teachers wanting to leave. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely blessed in the fact that I discovered it when I did.
1: Yeah, it's I mean, I just had a recent discussion on on another podcast about I, I saw an article that said, uh, so I live in LA and in LA Unified, I think there's currently four hundred and fifty open positions for teachers. Uh, California wide, there's something like ten thousand. So it's it's definitely It it's gotten crazy. Like the the pan, you know, it was crazy before. As you said, it got crazier with the pandemic, and then for a variety of reasons, it continues to go to go on. Um, yeah, I think it's really. And so I wasn't aware. You know, I don't come from formal education. I come from. You know, I I was a trainer in in a sense. So you know, I was teaching stuff. Um, but I. I was not aware of how many people there were transitioning over uh, until relatively recently. When you made that transition, what do you th- what did you find initially? Like what are the what ma- made sense in your mind of what skills would would move over and what were kind of the the most important skills that you saw translate?
0: Yeah, so I mean, when I first started searching, I really thought I had to stay in education. So I really started looking at do I get my doctorate to become a professor. That was really what I thought. I thought I was, I'm going to have to sure. either become a school administrator or a professor. But honestly, neither of those sounded good to me at all. I was not excited <laughs> about either one of those, but I was like, I got to do what I got to do. I, I. There was nothing else I really wanted to do. I loved being a teacher, but it just got to be the way I was being treated was not ideal. It wasn't what I wanted for myself or my family. And so I mean, I really just started researching that. So I started researching what degrees I could get in school, and so what master's programs could I enter into because I didn't have a master's at the time. And obviously, you have to have a master's to get a doctorate. And that was really the path I was going to start going on was to become a professor. I was like, okay, that's,
1: that's a long path. I
0: know, and so, <laughs> I know. Thank God, I would still be on that path if that's what I went down. So, um, but then thankfully, as I started researching, and I. Honestly, immediately started looking for new jobs too in the education sector. And I sure. found a job for what was called an instructional technologist at a nearby university here in the Nashville area. And um, got the interview. I applied for the job, got the interview, um, and did one of those um, inbox interviews. I don't know if you've ever heard of those. No. Basically, they give you like this scenario of like, you're kind of like in the day of the life of that job and you have to accomplish as much as possible of these tasks. And oh. then afterwards, you, um, they ask you like, how did you decide what order you did them? It was a really fun exercise. Honestly, That's I, interesting. I encourage people who are hiring to put people through it because it was super fun. Anyway, I didn't get that job, But it opened because I didn't even really know what what an instructional technologist was, honestly. Like, I was like, "Oh, I got an interview. (laughs) (laughs) But instructional technologist is one step away from instructional designer. You know, the technologist is more the behind the scenes person of like running the technology. But then I started finding in my searches, popping up with instructional designer on LinkedIn or wherever I was searching which brought me to Facebook groups that I joined about instructional design, which brought me to idle courses Academy, which ultimately led me on the path I'm on now. So got it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And well, and that's great. Cause at least based on what my assumptions are, you know, of, of, from my point of view of thinking about what I'm guessing an instructional technologist would be doing in a lot of organizations, I'm guessing the instructional designer was a straighter line from where you were like to to because it's it's still about that translation of knowledge versus this the system stuff. Is that is that right?
0: For sure. Yeah. So the instructional technologist at on my team at Amazon kind of does all the LMS work and it can help yeah. me like at me as a program manager for assessments, I'll be like, Hey, can what's possible? Can we do this type of assessment and can we set it up this way for the learners? And he'll go and figure that out for me and then we'll test it. So Got I don't it. again these roles can look so different from company to company with that title, like even instructional designer. But yes, the instructional design role was an immediate like puzzle piece fit from a teacher. And I think that's why so many teachers are transitioning to this because it's a simple translation of terms. And I talk about this with my mentees as well. Like, you know, when we talk about our parents, um, the parents in schools that's a stakeholder when you talk about sure. students it's a learner there's all these direct translations and teachers already know how to um, implement learning theory they already know how to design curriculum design lessons write um, learning objectives write assessments really the job that a learning instructional designer does so those are those skills that just make that immediate transfer. And really, all I had to learn was the technology I had to learn Storyline, the Articulate Suite, Adobe Suite, um, how to translate those terms. But honestly, the biggest thing was confidence. And I'm finding that that is the biggest thing that teachers are lacking, is confidence, not only to make the jump to leave the classroom, but to enter anything else. It gives me chills just now to even say it. Like the <laughs> they don't have the confidence. And I have some reasons behind that. I don't know if you want to get into that, but I go into it in my podcast. But I do believe that the education system today, as it stands, is a pretty abusive system towards teachers. And so that does get ingrained in the teachers. Sure. That they don't have any other skill set, which is not true.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not. I mean, it's one of the most I mean, anybody who had a child during the pandemic, and got to watch Zoom classes happening, know, knows firsthand just how dynamic that situation is, and just how many things teachers need to deal with. Um, I mean, what did you? So, what steps did you take to kind of get over that? I mean, you mentioned idle courses. Was was that kind of a big element in helping you get that confidence, or or then you know how how did you build your confidence over time?
0: Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. Um, so Idol was a big piece of that. The way that it's set up, um, I joined in its earliest days. Honestly, it's grown yeah. so much since then, and we have a lot yeah. more one-on-one support with mentorship and stuff, which wasn't happening when I joined. But at the time, since it was so new, the owner, Dr. Robin Sargent, had a lot more bandwidth to provide one-on-one calls and things like that. So it's like when I expressed doubt, she would just get on a call with me and say, listen, I'm here for you. We got you. Now the mentors do that in the academy. And so that's what we provide. I'm a mentor in the academy. Um, But Robin was a big part of that, just that support system of knowing because most, it's mostly teachers, honestly. I mean, there are other yeah. ro- people that come through Idle Courses Academy, don't get me wrong. People who are upskilling as instructional designers um, or other fields. But there was a lot of other teachers around me and teachers who had just transitioned. And so that really helped my confidence. But honestly, I'm just also the type of person that I don't mind taking risk. And so... Um, nice. For me, it was one of the riskiest times I could possibly even take a risk. But at the same time, it felt like if I didn't do it then, I was stuck. My husband had just left me and my new daughter and my two-year-old. So I had two young kids. I was teaching online. So I got the taste of the online teaching before the pandemic. I was teaching at an online school and it was terrible. And I was not making much money. And so, when my husband left, I got that wake up call of, "Am I gonna have to be asking him for money every month, or what? Like, what do I need to do? I need to figure yeah. something else out." And so, yeah. I guess it just it lit that like, I don't know, that emergency fire that comes through any of us that fight or flight. And I chose yeah. to fight, you know, and fight for my family and fight for my own well being, so that I did not have to um, have to be asking the girl's dad. For money every month i wanted to be able to provide for myself
1: i mean i think you're right and you know something that i've observed in my own life is just and this is true in any business too just how strong of a push scarcity brings you know the, scarcity is where innovation lives and whether it's uh you know as, as unfortunate as i think that is sometimes and um whether that's forced upon you um through life circumstances or something that you can kind of create artificially um it definitely provides a a strong push i would i would imagine so that's and i it's i'm just so excited to hear that you know i mean definitely i know robin as well and there could you could have no better cheerleader in in (laughs) your in your corner (laughs) she is she is just pure fire and positivity and it is so that that's really exciting and so for anybody out there whether you're A teacher looking to transition or anybody else in an organization, I would say, you know, two big takeaways really are if you if you're looking to change something, one, you have to find that motivation. Like, where is that motivation coming from? And then getting that support, you know, whether that's from your manager or from some, you know, uh, some course that you take or a group a mentor group that you join having that motivation and then having that support structure is is really huge to making any big change in your skill set or change in your in your life when when you made that change you know whether it's from idle courses you, you mentioned the technology you mentioned kind of the confidence were there any other big skills that stand out to you, especially now, as you look back at several years into your transition that have been important for you to build that you didn't have when, when you were uh, teaching formally that
0: I didn't have. Um, so one thing that I've, and again, I don't know if it was just me, I talk about this with my mentor groups, but like, sometimes I'm like, why didn't I know this before as a teacher? But Mm. I think it's because we're so siloed as teachers, but one thing that I've gained a lot and I'm still learning is a lot of, um, Approaching things out of curiosity, um, so like if I don't understand why something's happening, or I don't understand why why a group at work is not implementing the assessment that I made the way that I instructed them to, or the way that it was intended to, what's going on? And so I immediately get like this like bucking up feeling. And I don't know if that again. I don't know if that came from my teaching or if it's just my personality. But I have learned to just like sit back and and then approach that person with curiosity. And I never, not that I never knew that before, but not really. Like I just hadn't ever. I had always. I don't want to say that teachers are like dictators, but we do have control over our little environment.
1: Hundred percent, absolutely. And that so I total think
0: sense. coming out of that, I had to learn how to how to collaborate better. We know how to collaborate yeah. as teachers, but we don't. We aren't allowed to as much as we want to because we're stuck in our classroom with our kids, and that's about it. And planning time gets taken away more and more and more as we get more and more duties added on as teachers. And yeah. so I think that was one of the biggest things was like making sure that I kept an open mind to um, that curiosity mindset of like mm, I wonder why that's happening instead of assuming that I already know what's happening.
1: Yeah, I i've that really resonates with me you know coming out of the military and when i went into the corporate world from the military i mean it is dictatorial (laughs) you know in the military much much more so and so there there i was really it took me a long time to really understand you know i would always be looking for like who's in charge of like who can make this decision and say go and then it happens Mm. and in the corporate world very often that's just not how it works there is no person that says yes or no or go or don't go it's it's a it's all a collaboration it's all um you know getting people getting building buy-in um working you together an enneagram
0: and then, do you know what you are are you an eight
1: i think i might be actually because i have that's taken very
0: it. important to them is to know who, the hierarchy yes and that's very important to me too
1: <laughs> yes exactly it just and i and you know i, I do think many uh any any you know bureaucracy bureaucratic system which you know education certainly is that has a strong element of that you know there's the there's the person who's in charge of the district there's the person who's in charge of the school there, you know and you and you can just kind of identify that and at least in you know i'm at least in the organizations that i've worked at that just doesn't exist um or even and if so, it does
0: lines get crossed and i yes. this does i had a conversation with this about this just this morning with somebody on my team where I was just like i mean like without sharing the details it was that same conversation of well that i don't own that though so how can i be helping them with this i don't own that we have ownership of things but then there are these fuzzy lines of like but we need you to cross over and show us this part and it's like I struggle with that a little bit of, like, how can I own this and you own that, but yet I'm still supposed to help you with this piece of it, you know, and it's not out of hesitancy to help. It's about that ownership and that, like, who's the boss of this that I struggle with.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's and it's so it's such a big thing with kind of all support functions, but certainly learning and development and I think you know for any listeners who aren't in learning and development who are out in the business and are struggling to work with learning and development I think I think this is really important to understand as well cuz in a lot of out in the business there is often still a lot of ownership and, and there can be clearer lines. But whether it's L&D, broader HR, we cross over everything. We're not a part of the business units. We're somewhere else. We're having to collaborate across business units. Even something like you mentioned, uh, the learning management system, even things like our tools very often aren't owned by yeah. us. They're owned by IT yeah. or software. Um, and so- We're training
0: on those, operations is part of it. You're right, HR is a huge part of it, even though we have nothing, yep. to, like. We do have something to do with it, but we're like my assessments may some at some point drive hiring decisions or firing decisions. Although I Mm -hmm. have no say in that, but my assessments will. Yeah, it's such it's. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah, and so.
1: Yeah, and so learning to as as a learning professional. Learning the ability to do that of cross over those lines. And I think for me this is a constant work in progress. That's such an important skill. And then for somebody out in the business trying to work with LD, have a little empathy for us. <laughs> it it it's tricky. It's 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 tricky to to cross all those lines all the time. Um so that and I'm assuming this has only that need has only grown as you have grown in your career you know now that you're uh now that you're a program manager kind of how has your role changed from being that instructional designer to now being a program manager
0: yeah so as the instructional designer before i it was more of a creative role not that i'm creative not that i'm not creative now but you know i was creating designs Um, and now I'm more in the process management and the business side of it. So there, I've had such a strong learning curve. It fit me really well. And that's why they put me in this position is because when I got hired on at Amazon, I immediately started pointing out, oh, I don't think, you know, I think we can improve this, 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 and this. And they were all yeah. process type of things. Like we can expedite this process. This isn't very efficient. Let's change this. And thankfully, and one thing I love about corporate that's very different than public education is they were like, Oh, cool, show us and we'll try it. Right? Yeah. It wasn't like, No, that's not how we're doing it this year. We're doing it this way, which is very public yeah. education, right? Okay. Um, yeah. So I very much appreciated that. And I think it encouraged me to build that skill. And so as a program manager, now, instead of creating courses, obviously, I'm the assessment program manager, I'm not even creating the assessments necessarily, I'm designing, how are we going to do this in a different way? And what's that going to do for showing a correlation between assessment scores and performance? Because otherwise, what is the point of assessments? And when I came on, to be honest, to be quite frank about my team, there was no point to the assessments, they were just there right? They weren't yeah. proving anything. They were showing no correlation. They were just there to to say that they had an assessment, just I does. guess.
1: Check the box. Yeah. Right.
0: And so I've come in and now am working to show that correlation because what that's going to do, obviously, is show um, the success of our coursework and be able to make, like we were talking about, HR decisions, possibly. If we can show a direct correlation between an assessment and a performance, well, if somebody... Po- you know, performs poorly on an assessment, we can say, do we want to continue with this person? Because correlation shows they're not going to do well afterwards. So why would we continue training them? Or we put A, B, and C in place, and we can improve that, which will then show a correlation to good performance, right? Like, how can we remediate things like that. So um, it's just a different mindset. And I'm working cross teams a lot more, which is something really new. And something that teachers, I didn't get as a teacher, you know, again, like as an elementary school teacher, I just planned my curriculum and that was about it, you know, and then you stick with maybe with your little second grade team. And I don't mean little like belittling that team, but like, you know, if you have a team of four teachers, you're just sticking to that, right? You probably aren't even talking to the fourth, fifth, sixth grade teachers. Um, Whereas I'm, you know, I'm working worldwide with all these teams and sometimes I'm like, I don't even know what you're doing, but I'm having to work with you on this because I know that you own this little piece of what I'm working on. Right. Yeah. And which is super fun. It's super fun. I love that part of it, but that was brand new for me for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, I gotta, I gotta dive into this more because I think I read a stat yesterday that was something like said like 8% of ceos see a performance impact or a business impact from their learning and development programs like like it's just some vanishingly small number which honestly doesn't surprise me that much um when you're talking and so it's great that you're focusing on that as the goal you mentioned it was a very different mindset as you shifted from being the instructional designer into your role now what are some of the biggest how would you describe that mindset shift to, to kind of push it to instructional designers, to think about the, the outcome, be more outcome-oriented, be more, outcome more performance-oriented? Um, how do we make that shift? Because I feel like it's a really big part of the conversation, That at least in, on LinkedIn, that is the conversation of that lack of connection between the training and the outcome from your experience, what do we need to do there to just to, to move that to have that shift happen faster?
0: Well, I think we're going in the wrong order. I mean, especially as the assessment sure. program manager now, I'm seeing the importance of assessments and I see when they're written and when they're mm. even talked about, and it's not until after the training's already built. Well, why are yeah. we not talking about as soon as we see a problem, well, how can we how are we going to know if we've changed this problem? That's the assessment right there. How do we know if we've changed this problem? That should be the beginning. When instead it's, shoot, we have this problem. We have to build this training to educate them on this or change their behavior. And then it's like, oh shoot, we have to have a quiz to show, to like have them pass. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that's how the order goes. And then we wonder why there's no correlation. Well, because were you even asking the right questions on the quiz? Did they correlate to learning objectives? Are the learning objectives even the right learning objectives? And so, again, when I came on this team, those were the things I pointed out. I said, look, we're not even assessing all the learning objectives. I don't even know if these are the right learning objectives. Like, And I think those are those are problems that are all across. This was not just a yeah. my team issue at Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. This, I see this everywhere. I even see it in how sometimes we train our ids we start with look at this cool you know tool you get to use instead of like well how do you even know yeah that this course is going to change behavior we have to start there write your assessment first and then work backwards from there no i don't know i don't think hardly anybody's doing that and that's why there's no correlation that's why there's yeah. only a four percent or three percent, whatever you stated yeah. that it was, is because they can't show it because they're not assessing correctly or at all.
1: Yeah, that's why I always love. I, I remember I forget where I heard this, um, but most I'll, anybody, most people in the learning profession are familiar with like the Kirkpatrick levels of analysis. Of and I remember reading years ago, and it just changed my whole way of thinking about this. Of don't use Kirkpatrick as a like post-fact evaluation tool where there's these levels of evaluation, it should be a design tool that you just do in reverse you start with the performance outcome that you're trying to achieve and figure out how you're going to get that then you figure out okay what behaviors do you need in order to get that performance outcome then what learning do you need to get that behavior then what engagement style do you need in order to get that learning exactly. uh, that backwards design is just i think you're i think you're totally right it's so, it's so huge and from your position cuz i often find that when i'm talking to subject matter experts and folks out in the business, one of the the challenges that we're having to push against is this idea that when people think training, they think education because that's where they came from. You know, everybody has had the experience of sitting in a classroom with a teacher talking to them. And so that's like their default. And so from your perspective, and we could kind of use this to close out maybe, since you've lived in, in both worlds, how do we help? non-learning people, the stakeholders out in the business, make, in many ways, the same transition that you've made, not in the things they're doing, but in the way they think about training? How, how, can, how can we help people make that transition?
0: Well, I mean, I have a an answer that goes with public education and just it's learning in general. Honestly, I think we're doing okay. it all wrong. We're doing public education okay. wrong. We're doing corporate learning wrong because it's all about yeah. front-loading. It's not about like Mm. this dynamic. Learning is supposed to be dynamic. I saw a post the other day on Instagram or something that said that kids inherently want to learn. They just want Mm -hmm. to. And they Mm -hmm. can teach themselves through play. That's what play is designed for. Same with adults. We play with things to figure them out, right? Sometimes we don't even read the directions. We just try. Like, we see, I can figure that out. It's not that hard. And we play with it until we can try to figure it out well and it's what you instead of, sorry go ahead at a
1: basic level at a, at a basic level i mean it's what you see in animals too right you know it's like how do how, how do animals learn how to to hunt right like they they play they they, they mm-hmm. play with each other of play yep. fighting and then like the parent brings them like something that's dead and they, you know like like that's how you that's how you learn it's how and everybody it's learns. in
0: the academy at idle courses academy it's how we Teach people like storyline, for instance. I always tell them, you gotta go play in it first. Like, I'm not gonna tell you, here's how to make a trigger. Here's how to add a, an image. Just go play, just go figure it out. And instead we've turned public education, corporate education into, we know what you need to know. So let me just front load you with a ton of stuff We'll give you a quiz afterwards to see if you retained hours and hours and hours of information. Then we're going to immediately just put you to work to see if you can implement it instead of this. I mean, I think learning is supposed to be dynamic and playful. And so why couldn't public education be more about all these stations? And it's just like, go figure it out. See if you can make this balance, you know, work using these, different weights with numbers on them which is then teaching math go see if you can figure out how to make blue with these with this paint like I'm not going to tell you or not make blue but make purple right and then they go and play and same with corporate education I my team we train people who answer the phones for Amazon why not just have them try like not for the real customer obviously but why not just have them pick up a call and let's see what they already think is supposed to be said on the call and go from there. What the trouble with that is, is that de-standardizes everything. And as Americans, we want everything (laughs) to be standardized and the same. And that's the problem. I mean, it's even what I'm supposed to be doing with my assessments. I'm supposed to be standardizing them as much as possible, which isn't dynamic, is it? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's 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 true. And, you know, I think that that is exactly where hopefully we're at the beginning of a revolution because AI is true can truly enable that when used, you know, talk about having a conversation like the hard the hardest part forever has been. Well, how do you do that? How do you scale the ability to have those initial conversations and adjust where where the conversations go? Well, hey, like we're we're basically there or yeah. we're gonna be there in the next couple of years. It's it's gonna that's gonna be easy to do. That word scale um, is
0: a big one.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, I, I think that's that's Totally spot on. I, I love I love that idea of really shifting to this idea of training as play and exploration um, as such a hopeful way to think about think about the industry. You, you mentioned so, so you do coaching you and you have a podcast as well, right?
0: Yes. Thank you for asking. So I have it's through the Idol Courses Academy. So Idol Courses Academy awesome. is where I transitioned um, and where I mentor and coach anyone not just teachers but obviously i know more about how to help teachers transition and through idle courses academy i have a podcast called leaving the classroom where i just um, it's a really short podcast five to ten minutes each episode and i'm just giving tips and confidence builders exactly what i know i was missing as a teacher to leave the classroom and just um my goal is to help as many teachers safely and effectively transition out of the classroom into um, hopefully instructional design because that's what I love and what I think is a great transition for them, but just to give them the courage to leave. They can leave, you can leave.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, Christy, thank you so much for being here today. I think this has been a a great conversation um, and I'm sure we will have many more. So thank you so much.
0: Yes, thank you, Matt, this is fun.
1: Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you liked the discussion, make sure to hit like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. As a reminder, if your team is struggling keeping up with the training development demands of your organization, we want to help. Better Everyday Studios is a full-service instructional design team that can help you with everything from ideation to actual content creation and delivery. Please reach out to us using the link in the episode notes below. Have a great day.